Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Logan Jones here in Lexington, Kentucky, and this week we're coming to you with a little bit different of an episode. We got to record a live episode with a company called Flywire Cameras. It was awesome. We got to sit down in front of a live audience, and we even had some of the audience members come up and ask some questions. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Let's take a listen. guys welcome to the middle tech podcast i'm your host today logan jones we're here in lexington kentucky and today's a little bit different of an episode we are recording live in base 110 for global entrepreneurship week as we like to do i'd like to remind you guys to rate subscribe do all that stuff and to the people who are watching me i'm going to know if you don't do it so go ahead and pull out your phones no i'm just kidding Uh, i should have brought like the laugh signs and like the (laughs) applaud signs so that i can control you guys a little bit better alexa could probably do that for you (laughs) Um, so yeah, shout out to Eric Hartman and uh, Global Entrepreneurship Week, Awesome Inc., Base 110. This is just a great example of the community coming together to put on a really cool event and do something cool for a startup here in town. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest today, Flywire Cameras. I'm here with uh, Sarah Alissi and Jacob Isaac Lowry. How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. Good to be here. Pretty good. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. This is a really cool event. So I got to meet with you guys briefly and you guys walked me through a little bit about what your company does. But first, I want to start with just a high-level background about where you guys are from, where you guys went to college, how you guys uh, met and all that. So let's just start with, where are you guys from? Sure. Um, I am from Kalamazoo, Michigan, originally. I went to, to college at the University of Michigan, which is actually where I met Jacob. Yeah, uh, I'm from here in Lexington, grew up, uh, went to Paul Lawrence Dunbar, and then, yeah, Sarah and I met at the University of Michigan when we were both there for undergrad. Cool. So uh, how did you guys become co-founders together? Where did this idea start, and then how did you guys decide to work on it together? Yeah, sure. Um, well, so Sarah and I have known each other for, I mean, God, almost 20 years now, so for forever. And, um, you know, for me, kind of entrepreneurship, starting your own business was always something I'd been interested in doing. Um, runs in my family on both sides. Uh, and Sarah had always kind of been really supportive of me um, yeah, and kind of talked me into actually taking an opportunity that came by and saying, hey, you know, I think this is something that you could really run with. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that once kind of got that started, got a little bit of traction with it, and it was enough for me to then be able to turn around and convince her to leave her full-time job and come on board and see if we couldn't do something special with this thing. Yeah, do you mind diving in a little bit more about the your family's history of entrepreneurship and how that influenced you growing up? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, on my dad's side, uh, he's been self-employed basically his whole career, my whole life uh, on my mom's side. Uh, on that side of the family, um, they came from Eastern Kentucky. Great grandfather started a chain of movie theaters in Coal Town. So, you know, you grow up as uh, a little kid with those being the stories you hear around the dinner table every day. It kind of, you know, becomes something infectious and gives you some goals that you want to grow up and try and pursue yourself. That's awesome. So, with Flywire, give us the high level overview on what Flywire is. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, I think the easiest way to think about it is that Flywire at its core, it's a product, it's a service, and it's a method that, uh, by which you use them 
that helps our customers in the commercial seafood industry, so wild capture seafood, be able to meet the demands of government regulators to end overfishing, uh, be able to meet the demands of consumers for sustainably sourced products, and be able to do both of those while at the same time also being able to meet the needs of their businesses and communities by being able to continue to operate their businesses profitably. And what makes us unique is we're one of the first companies that's out there that's really being able to do both of those things at the same time. So what is the actual hardware that you guys are installing on these boats? What does that look like? Um, so I think kind of the easiest way to think about that is, um, you know, think about it kind of like the, a Fitbit that goes on commercial fishing boats. So uh, we install that hardware on the vessel. When those boats go out to sea, we collect data on what they're catching, uh, how they're handling it, the efficiency by which they process it, how the vessel's performing. Uh, then when those vessels come back to shore, all of that data gets uploaded to the cloud. We use AI to help process all the raw data, and then we're able to ship actionable analytics out to our customers uh, to use to be able to uh, make more informed business decisions. Yeah, I'd like to emph emphasize the, the data that you guys are collecting. So when we first met, you told, this, you told about the, the product that you guys are packaging and how much it truly benefits some of these fishing companies who are really small, and it would be a huge burden and maybe the next best option is uh, a human actually taking down this data. So talk a little bit about how much of a benefit it is for these fishing companies to get that data and how much easier it is for them to get that certification as a result. Yeah, so I mean, I think when you look at kind of the, the status quo for how things are being done right now, um, Logan, you hit on it. So kind of the standard way to actually try and get this information is to pay an outside person to come get on these fishing boats basically look over everybody's shoulders while they work and take this data down manually, which is obviously not particularly scalable, it's not particularly effective in 2019, and, is, and it's very, very expensive. And so uh, what we're able to do is by not just focusing on trying to reduce the cost of compliance uh, by deploying technology, but focus more on actually creating real value uh, for our customers, we're able to provide a solution to them that not only kind of underpins basically their regulatory needs or their, you know, if they need a sustainability certification, do that, but then take it one step further and provide the type of data that these businesses need to bring their operational efficiency more in line with other comparable industries that have made similar improvements over the last 30 years by being able to operationalize data as a business asset as opposed to something in the history of our industry that was just used to generate fines and punishments for people. I'd say something unique about us in this market as well is that our customers in the industry actually get to utilize, like Jacob said, their own data. Um, they get to see it, they get to verify it, um, they get to use it for their re their own their business and their, their own um, needs. Whereas right now that data, when it is collected, it goes into a black box um, with the NGO or the government. And those data are not available to that to those companies to use in a regular um, like or a daily way like that. It's just really just used to, to see if someone was compliant or not. So there's really no interaction with those data once once it's been once they've been collected, and that's a big thing that we really are excited about. Yeah. So one of the topics that we talk a lot about on Middle Tech, we actually like two episodes ago had a big discussion, and one of the main focuses was was data. And how, I think Evan said it, data is more valuable than oil now, in the right hands. So I think that a trend we're starting to see, and you guys are a good example of this, is there is data everywhere. And I love that you guys are collecting not only uh, data to certify these people, but also for fleet management to tell how the ship's operating. So these companies that are collecting all this data, 
uh, I think it's just fascinating how they are helping people operate more efficiently, uh, fish more sustainably, mm -hmm. all the sort of stuff. So that's that's super interesting. So I know we talked a little bit about you guys working with someone other than a fishing company. Have, th have there been any pivots in this in this process? Well, the short answer is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think for anybody um, that's been fortunate enough to try and take a crack at their own startup, you know, if, if you're not responding to your customers' needs, if you're not responding to what the market's telling you and adjusting your approach as you go, then you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table, and you may end up at a dead end uh, because you missed a better way forward. So um, for us, yeah, that's been part of our story as well. Yeah, so you worked with UK football, right? Oh, yeah. In the early days. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, they were awesome. You know, it was a great opportunity to let us get in and, you know, try to not get in their way too much. Um, but, yeah, they, they definitely kind of let us participate and help us learn a little bit more about uh, how we could kind of sharpen our value prop using kind of at our core what we're special, you know, our specialty is really in leveraging video data uh, as an actionable tool um, and help us kind of refine and understand how you could deploy that in different markets to see where our, our strongest traction was. Cool. Um, so when you guys, so there's a camera on these boats mm -hmm. that is pretty much watching what's going on. Uh, what does that look like on the back end? How is it being analyzed? I know there's an artificial intelligence part of this as well, right? Yeah, sure. um, yeah so if you can imagine, we bring in um, uh, video. So, you know, you've got a couple different angles that are capturing important things that are happening on deck. Um, we do use some control algorithms, so you're not just recording 24-7 like a security system, right? Trying to be a little bit more intelligent about the amount of raw data that we're collecting. Uh, then you've also got other uh, ancillary sensor inputs outside of just position, but, you know, we can monitor all the different subsystems on the vessel. So, you know, is there fishing gear running? What's going on with the vessel? Fuel levels? All those different types of things. Then when we bring those in, uh, we have a dashboard, software dashboard that we've built that allows um, a human to participate in uh, reviewing and analyzing and annotating that data, right? So mm -hmm. what we'll use is we've got an AI assistant that goes in and helps process some of the things that aren't important, so we're not wasting a human's time with that. Uh, that's what, one of the things that helps us, uh, gives us some advantages in our capability to process. And then uh, depending on what the customer actually needs, whatever their pertinent regulatory requirements are, however they're running their business. You know, every fishing operation is a little bit different. So we understand from our customers what are the key drivers for their businesses, what are their key regulatory drivers, and then do they have any downstream customer demands around certifications that they need to hit. And then we design basically our analysis criteria to tick all of those boxes for them. So another thing that you guys talked about a little bit about was being in uh, Techstars mm -hmm. Sustainability Program in Denver. Talk a little bit about that. So I mean, I think for us, um, one of the things that was really powerful about Techstars was it was an opportunity to kind of get out of your own little bubble. Uh, it was an opportunity to kind of get out of working in the business and spend a few months um, surrounded by some just honestly really tremendous network of mentors and start focusing on working on your business and looking not just you know where you're going to be next week and next month but where do you want to be you know two years from now three years from now what's your longer term strategy um, refocusing on understanding what your customers want customer uh, empathy interviews right mm -hmm. really focusing on your product market fit and then again you know, really trying to dig into, you know, understanding how you can create real value for your customers as opposed to just getting at maybe the obvious thing that they're struggling with, right? So taking it one level deeper and finding those uh, key areas that can differentiate you from anything else that's been attempted before in your space. And I would add, um, especially with the sustainability focus, a lot of businesses like ours, there is no pathway. It hasn't been done before. We are kind of pioneering in some ways. 
So that that's sometimes hard to build a business like that, um, you know, in traditional places. And that I think TechStars really gave us this opportunity in this bubble, this this new space to really step back, like Jacob said, and, and think about what we were doing and how we could do it different than everyone who had come before us. Um, and even in ways that people um, who may be uh, more experienced or have more credentials than we do have said is impossible. Um, but I really feel like Techstars gave us that platform, that, pla that platform and that opportunity to really dig in um, in a safe space and learn how we could build a business, um, not just a better business, but a better solution for those people that we're trying in those communities that we that we hope to serve, that we're honored to serve. So. I just add real quick, um, just kind of on a personal note for me. So, you know, being from Lexington, growing up here, you know, I at the time that I went to college, this was, you know, 20 years ago, you know, most of the people that I knew in college were from the East Coast to the West Coast. And the reputation of Kentucky at that time was still, they were surprised that I had all my teeth and that I could speak English and read. So to be able to go to Techstars representing this community, um, you know, obviously Sarah mentioned we were in their first sustainability cohort. They showed a map at their kickoff event, so they had all their high-dollar donors. I mean, it was it was a pretty impressive crowd in that room, and they showed a map of where all the companies were from. And so they're all, you know, L.A., Seattle, Boston, San Francisco, Chicago, and then there was one star in the middle of the country because they had no lines for the states. And I remember someone in the audience remarking if that was a mistake. <laughs> and so for us to be able to say, no, you know, I mean, there's people all over the country that are doing things in different places. That's something you can do now. Uh, just as Sarah mentioned, you know, the opportunity to kind of go first and demonstrate new ways to do new things and uh, have a role in being able to open up those pathways for people that are looking to come behind us is something on a personal level uh, that's just cool to have the privilege of playing that role. So that was another kind of neat thing that came out of it as well. That's awesome. That's, I love the whole part of in the middle of the country because that's what we're focusing on here, you know, middle tech, mm -hmm. uh, technology, entrepreneurship in middle America. I feel like, you know, it's, it's pretty undercovered. But I think it's starting to change. I, I think we can all see that Lexington, Louisville, Cincinnati, we're kind of in that golden triangle that's really hitting an upswing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Talk about one of your favorite memories starting, uh, starting Flywire. Sure. Uh, so for me, this would have been, um, it was about six months after we built uh, kind of our first uh, fisheries prototype system on the hardware side. Um, we had an opportunity that came along just because of what we were able to do that no one else had really been able to do yet at that point, uh, where we had a, just a huge order for hardware that came in. It was an urgent need from a customer. I mean, basically going from a couple prototypes you'd built to 200 production systems, and they wanted them basically yesterday. Uh, and so obviously, you know, at that time when you're at that, you know, for any business that's growing, you know, you want to be able to figure out a way to make your customers happy and take that. So said, absolutely, yeah, we can do it. And then I remember kind of getting off the phone, closing that order and turning around and looking at my team who were just looking at me like I was crazy <laughs> at the time saying, you know, can we actually do that? And I said, yeah, you know, for sure we can do this. So we spent the next three months. Uh, basically, we were, uh, you know, we were in Hawaii at the time, so space is tight. We were working out of a, a house that we'd rented, basically, like the show Silicon Valley. And I remember we had semi trucks showing up to this house in this residential neighborhood, unloading pallets and pallets of material that we were working on building. I mean, we had hundreds of pieces of equipment in the house. Uh, at night, you could see all the LEDs from everything glowing outside on the street, you know. And our neighbors were kind enough to not report us to the authorities for any suspicious activity. But, <laughs> you know, just kind of being in that moment of, hey, no one's ever done this before. This is absolutely insane. You know, can we do it? Can't we do it? And, you know, being able to lead the team through that out the other side and making that a success that we could build our company off of was just a, a really cool thing to be a part of. 
not only do we do it and deliver the equipment on time um, in scale, those things survived uh, at least two years in a rural uh, fishing community in the middle of a Mexican desert. So that got some really good runs on our equipment there. Yeah, that's awesome. So you guys talked a little bit there about being in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So how did you guys go from being in college at Michigan to starting the company down in Hawaii? Oh, well, that is a long and winding road. <laughs> um, uh, you know, honestly, for me, um, you know, it took me, I'd say, about 10 years after I got my undergrad degree to really find, you know, what it was that inspired me and made me passionate in terms of my professional um, kind of pursuits. Uh, I think, you know, I, if I hope I misquote his name right, but I think it's Simon Sinek mm -hmm. um, that talks a lot about finding your why. Uh, he talks a lot about that in the context of building your business, but I also, I also think there's power in that, finding it in terms of your own personal context, because if this is something you're going to do, it's hard, it's not easy, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that will look at you and be very skeptical about whether or not this can be something that will work, right? Because no one's ever done a lot of this stuff before. Or so, whether you're the person that can do it. Yeah, 100%. So if it's not something where you know you have an internal drive to go make this successful, it gets very easy to get you know downtrodden and, and quit. And so for me, kind of on my personal journey, I had, had the privilege of working with a, a number of great people number of different states, a number of different industries, and, and kind of what I teased out of that was, you know, what motivates me is being able to find people that are on the front lines of the problems they're solving, that's the men and women that are closest to that problem, and being able to help provide them the tools they need to be successful in bringing about the outcomes they know will be best. And when you're talking about kind of these big challenges, sustainability, environmental challenges, you know, if, if you can get the people on the ground something that helps them solve this problem, that's the way that you can build things that really stick once all public money subsidies, private donation subsidies go away and actually mm -hmm. create something that's that's pretty impactful. So, you know, it, it took me a while to kind of get to that point and find out what it was. Um, like I said, bounced around quite a bit. I was in Hawaii just getting my master's degree, you know, at the time. Um, and so we had an opportunity to take a crack at it. It was the right time. Felt like I developed enough skills, you know, had the support to really uh, take a swing. and. Sometimes you just got to pull the trigger, jump in the pool, and, and then figure out how it goes from there. When I first heard about your company, I'm thinking, okay, a company that deals with, with fishing in Kentucky, that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at first. So talk a little bit about having the company in Hawaii, a place that would seemingly be a good place for it, but I know you guys face some challenges having it there. What was that like? The, the concept works a little bit better in Hawaii, but then just again, just the challenges of running a business, especially a hardware heavy business um, and services business like we are, it just became a challenge, logistics, um, you know, the distance, things like that, um, and just the timing of things. But I don't know, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I think kind of on top of that, you know, for us being transplants in Hawaii, you know, one of the things that's really, really, I, I think, critical for early stage startups as people are trying to get companies off the ground is having a network within the community. Um, you know, for us, the, the an analogy here is at Commerce Lex, the SBDC, of people that are tapped in to what the local resources are, who the right people are to be talking to that you can go to and very quickly get pointed in the right direction and get the right advice. And so, you know, that was something that we struggled with coming from the outside in Hawaii that, that put some caps over what we were able to do and where we were able to go. And when we were looking at relocating, you know, off the islands back to the continents, I mean, we shopped around a number of different places, but it was 
um, kind of that local community here and that set of services and not just you know what's available but the actual people that are doing these jobs because um, that's really important too you know can you build good relationships with good people um, that stuck stood out to us um, for here in Lexington compared to some of the other communities we looked at and so it just made sense uh, to make that make that jump I think a common thread here is the community here and the willingness of everyone to push the startup community forward everyone here wants to help and I know you guys talked very highly about a couple people in the Lexington government. Do you guys want to give any shout-outs right now? Talk about how they've helped you out along your way? Um, obviously, short answer is Wes Holbrook down at the city yeah. has been awesome to work with. I know those guys end up with a trillion things on their plate, like everybody you know who, who works for the public does. So, uh, But they really work hard to you know make sure they can support local businesses here, recruit new talent, new companies here to the city, and help the community grow. So nothing but good things to say about um, those guys and the efforts that, that they're pursuing. Yeah, and you're part of the Jobs Fund, right? Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. Yeah, we had a, a big discussion on that. Uh, we actually had Wes on yeah. the podcast to talk about it. So that's, that's super cool that you guys are taking advantage or stuff like that and as far as shout outs I mean this community is huge and there's so many people um, way too many people probably to name but definitely um, Eric and Laura and Hannah just to name a few names uh, I'm terrible with everyone's last names so but you guys know who you are we really appreciate you so uh, I mentioned at the beginning this is kind of a great example of this community coming together what uh, what are you guys focused on right now and is there any way that this community can kind of push you forward and help you out in any way I mean, the short answer is, is obviously yes, right? I mean, if anybody's building a new business or a new startup, you know, always be on the lookout for opportunities to capitalize on resources that other people around you are trying to make available, right? So, you know, the short answer is always yes. I think, um, you know, this is something I kind of reflect on personally, you know, pretty regularly is, you know, we've been very, very fortunate to have had the privilege to have connected with some of the communities outside of Lexington. So whether it was through Techstars and the ecosystem that they've been wildly successful building out in Denver, uh, we've had uh, the opportunity to go and, and spend quite a bit of time out in California in Silicon Valley through one of the other accelerator programs we went to. And so looking at what are the things that people in other cities have done that have helped their startup communities move beyond kind of the infancy stage and get into the stage where you're now starting to spin off unicorn companies, billion-dollar businesses that are able to spin off jobs and reinvest back in those communities to help those ecosystems grow, just like what Amazon and Microsoft did in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, when I, what I think about is, and this has just been my experience, so this is my two cents. Sarah, feel free to chime in you know, whenever you feel like it. But... One of the things that I've noticed about uh, Central Kentucky specifically is there's a kind of a segment of businesses, business models, and markets that people here are comfortable with, right? Because we can see it, we can touch it, we interact with it, we understand those dynamics and those fundamentals. That's kind of our safe space to play, right? Mm -hmm. And you can make a lot of money in things that you already know how to do, right? But one of the things that has kind of been interesting to me is if you're going to move outside of the things you already do well, and start uh, experimenting and developing and building your repertoire and things that are new and things that are exciting and things that have different ways that you can grow and expand, that's been something that we've seen some of these other communities be able to make that transition, and it's been a key part of the catalyst that has driven you know, their ecosystems gangbusters. I mean, where you get from having a handful of very dedicated, supportive local funds to where you start now getting an actual investment community where it's not uncommon to have a fund located in Lexington that's trying to deploy $80 million in capital, right? That's not unique in Denver at this time. That's obviously not unique in California. And there's roadmaps for how to get there. And I, I think... One of the things that that we've seen and we've experienced is that 
it's hard to be able to try and bring those resources in in a vacuum when there's not deal flow, when there's not action on the ground level that makes it worth people's while to relocate their time and energy and capital, right? Because it all mm -hmm. flows together. And so what we've seen in some of the other areas is you have businesses that start and it grows from the inside out is you have a, you know, good companies, attractive investment opportunities, good businesses that are bringing in talent from the outside, they're bringing in capital from the outside and they're starting to build recognition that this is a community that people wanna start looking at, right? So if you're a company like that and you're on a journey like that, one of the things that can be pretty difficult when you're going outside of your safe space and you're going outside of your bubble to recruit new partners, to recruit new investors, to recruit new customers, is that if you don't come from someone's back, their neighborhood, they don't know about you. They don't know who you are. They don't know who you know. They don't know your story. They don't know if you're serious. They don't know if you're selling them a line of goods because you're not from around there, right? They have no history with you. So one of the things that we have been told kind of over and over and over and over and over again, and you kind of start to clue in on this stuff on a while, is for a community like Lexington, you know, any opportunity for the community here to be able to signal support, whether that's through you know, recognition like the Spark Awards, things like that, that have really started to develop here over the last 10 or 15 years, then it helps local companies build credibility that they can take on the road to recruit outside partners, outside investors, and outside participants who can now come and participate and play in this space. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you just anecdotally from our participation in Techstars, right? The number of people we talked through through that network during our time in Denver and post that one, were shocked that a company like ours was from this area, but two, had also knew somebody, or maybe themselves, or knew somebody that had invested in a company in Lexington, had done business here, had nothing but good things to say about this, this part of the country, this part of the world, in this area, and were looking for reasons to get outside of their own little ecosystems and find kind of fresh, fertile ground to try and develop new avenues for growth for themselves, right? So the cool part is the people on the outside are looking for reasons to come in, there's people on the inside that are looking for ways to bring people from the outside in. And I think one of the things that the community here locally can do is try and be you know, reflective and think hard about what can they do to facilitate building those bridges? Because that's gonna be a big part, just in my humble opinion, for what it's worth, about helping move the community from what we've achieved to date to what we could potentially achieve in the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll just add something, this is, I think just standard for a lot of uh, startup communities, but just really um, trying to do, I think for the community to really try and make sure they are actively embracing diversity. That's a big challenge for any, uh, for many founders in general, um, others uh, more so than some. So um, I think just, you know, being cognizant of where, where the, the time and the awards and the money and the investment goes and who it's going to makes a big difference and maybe taking a look at companies that maybe don't have the exact pedigree that people are used to, or they're not the PhD scientist with you know so many years of experience at, a, at an academic institution, but really looking for those people that they've got, they're dedicated, they wanna solve the problem, um, and they, they've got that drive, but they might not look um, either in person or on paper like, like some of the traditional people that you know people like to invest in. Um, and that, I, I think, diversity across the board you know we can't really narrow it down i don't think in any way when we're trying to solve really big problems everyone's voice needs to be heard so um, i think just being mindful of that is is something that i always like to focus on myself 
That's awesome. Those are both great answers. And normally that's where we'd kind of like to end this on, uh, a good forward-looking statement on Lexington in this community. But since we have a live audience here, we'd like to invite people to come up and ask questions. If anyone has any questions. Uh, if not, I'm going to cut this part out. And I'm like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't ask at all. But, yeah, if anyone has questions, come on up and uh, let's hear them. Yeah, come on up, David. Yay. Well, Thanks first, yeah, first off, go ahead and introduce yourself, what you do <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. I'll, I'll follow the lead. So, yeah. I'm David Goodnight, and I'm with the Bluegrass Angels. And uh, I, I uh, know and appreciate what uh, Flywire is accomplishing. But the question I have for you, just sitting in the audience, uh, is what is success for you guys? Well, you know, I can see the passion, yeah. but uh, is there an image of what success is? So for me, obviously, um, you know, we've got a, a responsibility to our investors, our customers to make Flywire successful. So number one, you know, that kind of comes first. Um, I think second, beyond that, um, one of the things that I'm particularly passionate about being from Lexington is saying, hey, through any success that we're, we're fortunate to have had to this point and future success that we'd be privileged to have, can we demonstrate an alternative pathway for other talented entrepreneurs in this community that are coming up behind us that have big ideas that say, hey, I'm from here and I have an idea that could go change the world. What's the model I can follow that can give me a, a like Sarah said, give me an equal shake at getting my chance to make a difference. And so um, that's kind of something that if we have the opportunity to do that for even one person, then a lot of the things you go through in the day-to-day -day grind of entrepreneurship, it adds, uh, adds additional value to that. Um, I'd say for me, uh, I think just having a solution to create a pathway for a lot of these uh, often multi-generational family businesses in seafood that are either processing, harvesting, selling, um, providing them with a pathway to um, transform their business into something that is sustainable if it's not already um, in a way that... Uh, I think really empowers them uh, rather than just uh, potentially either either that or just like like you said is, is just a negative um, regulatory you know consequence to their the business that they run um, and really helping them see a pathway forward and then for all the consumers having um, you know a nice sustainable product that we all can buy and feel good about eating that was provided to us you know in a responsible way that's what I see as really exciting about this. Customer focus, community focus, and uh, focus on the support that you receive through investors, employees, and your in the business itself. So definitely, especially yeah. from people like you, David. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, awesome. Course. Thank you, David. Keith, you got a question for us? I do. Yes. Hey, I'm uh, I'm Keith McMunn. I work with Awesome Inc. and I'm also the MC of a really fun pitch competition called Five Across here in Lexington. Uh, and it's fitting that I'm going to follow David Goodnight from the Bluegrass Angels. Because uh, I got to watch you all pitch uh, to BGA uh, about two months ago. And your pitch was so exciting <laughs> and so engaging that I was on the edge of my seat. And I think by the end of it, I, I realized I hadn't been breathing for a while. <laughs> like, I was just so engrossed in it. Um, <clears throat> what advice would you give to startup companies as they work on their pitch? How do, how do they engage their audience? Uh, what are, what's some general advice or tips that you would give to companies as they work on their pitch? Sure. Um, you go first. Well, or? Jacob, you are the pitch master, wow. so I think That's it's not all true, you. But, um, well, again, so my two cents, I think one of the things I've learned, you know, doing this for, for the time that we have is there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. 
I think the first thing is just finding a style that's comfortable for you. I think I, I've, you know, I've witnessed a lot of other people pitching, and I think one of the, the biggest traps people can fall into is to try and be something they're not because they feel like there's an expectation they have to meet. And you know, one of the things I've seen in terms of just hearing people talk is they connect to people that are authentic, telling an authentic story about something they genuinely are inspired and motivated by. So don't feel like you have to fit in a box. You know, be you and be comfortable and own your space, number one. Uh, I think number two, in terms of the actual content in a pitch, so anybody, you can take two seconds, you can go on Google and you can look up how to do a pitch, whether it, you know, it's Guy Kawasaki's, his standard 10 or 12 slide template, whatever, everyone kind of has their secret sauce. Um, one of the things that I've always thought that was kind of interesting that I've gotten feedback on you know, over the time that I've been doing this is you know, if, if you try and fit your business to a presentation template or a model or a format, again, because you feel like that's the expectation you have to meet, then you're going to leave things on the table because you're going to focus on areas of your business that are not as attractive because you feel like you have to, and you're going to leave out the things about your business that could be incredibly compelling because it just didn't fit a template that you thought you had to hit, right? So, you know, I got some advice uh, a number of years ago um, from a great mentor um, that said, focus on building your business and then the rest will come. And so I think that's the same approach to pitching, right? Like, don't go up there and think, okay, we have to come up with a sales model because slide number seven has to have something in it, right? Think about what is my actual sales model that really makes sense to move my business forward in my market with my customers, and then figure out what's a comfortable way for you to communicate that to your audience, right? And so if, if you can kind of keep yourself centered on what's really driving your business and be comfortable in the way you can communicate that, you can end up giving presentations that, that just feel more natural, right? And people, at least from what we hear back, you know, that's something that people kind of gravitate towards. I would also add, uh, test your messaging regularly with lots of different types of people from different types of background, and then iterate. So you're continuously improving your messaging, um, you know, what works, what doesn't. Sometimes you'll throw something out and say something, you'll try it, and you really miss, you know, don't add that again. Uh, just make sure you're paying attention. When you're actually in it, it's hard to pay attention to all, you know, the audience response and did, was someone looking at you? Did they get bored and fall asleep? You know, it's, it's hard because you're in it, right? But try as best you can, um, especially if you can have your co-founder um, or, you know, another person come with you that can pay attention to that stuff for you while, um, so that you get that feedback from someone that, like, that you know that's on your side. Um, without having to focus on it too much if you're the person that's pitching, because it can be, most people are very stressed out about that. So mm -hmm. I would just say continuously improve and test, <laughs> boys. Yep. Awesome, thanks for the question, Keith. Hi, um, I'm Laura Halligan. I work with the Office of Technology Commercialization at UK, and my question is actually for Sarah. Um, you are a female co-founder of a tech startup in a that's serving a male-dominated industry. Do you have any tips or any life lessons that you would like to pass on to other female founders? That's a good one. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, like most women, um, I find myself as the only woman um, often in, in the space, whether it's with our customers or our investors or um, just our, our startup community. I think the big thing is just knowing that you can do it. Don't worry about any of that imposter syndrome. You don't have don't have imposter syndrome. It's okay, um, and be just. It's a difficult space to own, but you can own it. And then also just being more aware of who's in the room and why and what their purpose is, and trying to find ways to bring um, more women and more diverse women into that space um, without checking a box. 
that's a pet peeve of mine. So, but yeah, I think just, uh, you know, just feel, be confident and don't, don't let that shake you. And it's not easy. You got to have your game face on, but just know that you can do it. And a lot of times there's many men in that room that are really, that are going to be supportive. So find them an ally. Yep. Thank Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for the question, Laura. All right, we got Garrett Farbach coming up here. Who? Well, I'll give you a shout out real quick. Yeah, give runs, me a shout out, Logan. Yeah, runs the Awesome Inc. Hall of Fame podcast. That so, I do. Yeah, a little shout just, out for just it. making connections on here. What you got for us? Yeah. So again, I work with Keith. So a lot of what he just asked, I want to ask. Uh, but in terms of you guys, so you guys have been around for quite some time. It seems like you guys are having success. So congratulations on that. I want to know for all of your listeners, but all of us in the room, what are what's probably the one. Well, the one learning lesson you wish you would have known now, if you could have known, you know, five, ten years ago from your season selves? Oh, man, just one? One or two. <laughs> yeah. Kind of your, your big no, hits. Uh, go ahead. I think that there's no right way to do this. So I think it's really easy, especially for people that are doing this for the first time, to come in and you find your first set of mentors and you have a tendency to take what they say as gospel, right? But you got to learn to put things in perspective, try and find a diversity of opinions, and then again, try and get to as quickly as you can, you know, kind of your space that you own, right? Because if you're always just following what someone else tells you to do, you're never going to get to where you actually want to take it. Along those lines, but I think just uh, having more confidence in in our product and our brand and our vision, um, because you will get a lot of different advice from a lot of different people um, within and outside of your network. Some of it nice, some of it really not constructive. So it's hard to kind of navigate that. So you have to figure out what your vision is and stick with it, um, and and make the pivots that you need to. But you gotta you gotta think, just hold that and keep going. Love that. And then follow up. I like asking about uh, learning lessons, but also what would you say is your your biggest biggest success, either you know personally within the company or a metric that you hit and you just felt like, oh man, this weight's off our shoulders. We're, we're, we're seeing traction. Uh, it could be different for either of you guys, but I'd love to hear what you're most proud of so far. Sure. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> He's That's probably smarter. No, yeah, just so yeah, that way you don't sound like the person talking off the top of your head. But um, now I think for me because connection with people, um, which for us through the business context is kind of expressed through connection with our customers. Um, one, of the, one of the things for me was, um, it's been here in the last few months, is working in, in seafood, which historically has been struggling with kind of getting a bad rap on the outside. You've got just, I mean, just in the United States alone, I mean, you've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that work in this industry and they get up just like the rest of us and they go to work and they work hard and they're trying to do the right things because they care about it, doing the right thing, right? And we're having the, the chance to work with these people in this industry who have come to the kind of the acceptance that they're viewed as the bad guy, that they're dealing with ever increasing regulations, which come from a good place, but are expressed as just increasing costs for them to operate their businesses. And they're looking at, you know, this is a business that was handed down to me for generations, and is this something I could hand down to my kids? Because I don't have confidence that this is a, a good investment or a good use of their time, right? Kind of that's, that can be the attitude. And to have come into that space and have had the privilege of working with our customers and say, hey, here's a better way, here's a different way that we could do this that we think is a better way forward. And being able to earn their acceptance and earn their willingness to participate with us and trying to prove that you can do this a better way and having gotten that to the point where you'll go in to people who are infinitely skeptical, as they should be, because they've heard a lot of promises for a long time, right? And be able to move them from skeptical 
too excited. And we just had, we were down in Texas, whenever that was, a month or so ago, it all runs together for me. And we had one boat that we were working with that had come back, we were debriefing with the crew, had another boat that pulled up behind them and asked when they got to go next. And I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but coming from our market in seafood, where right now the government and one of the regulations they're working on has a requirement for uh, companies like ours that have to report if their customers are physically threatening and harassing their employees because they don't want anything to do with them, that's the status quo. And to be able to have a conversation where someone said, you know, not only will I allow you to be here, but we're excited to have the opportunity to go next, playing a role in shifting their understanding of what the future could hold for them is something that's just kind of electric and contagious for me. Um, I think for me personally, I'll make a personal comment, um, just as a young person and as a, a young woman in science, my background is in marine science. So, um, you know, I kind of got to this point in my career in my early 30s where I didn't feel like um, I was going to be able to make the impact that I wanted to make on the timeline that I wanted um, and that a lot of, uh, you know, the uh, very established people will tell you there are some of these sustainability challenges that we're really on a timeline for. Um, what we do in the next 20 years is really important and the, solve, uh, the solutions that we put in place. So as a young person, I felt like stepping out of that traditional career pathway um, and, and into this entrepreneurship role has helped me in some way move the gauge, one, more than I feel like I would have done in my, where I was before in that traditional pathway. But then too, as a woman in science, which I do come from a male uh, dominated profession as well, I actually feel like I get to be heard. My, I get to capitalize on my own ideas and my own vision. I get to see as a co-founder, my vision expressed through this company, which is really cool. Um, and I might've had to wait, you know, another 20, 30 years to do that in my current on my current pathway if it even happened at all because it wasn't going to be guaranteed so that's really exciting for me that's awesome that's a great answer yeah, yeah. Sweet. last question do you guys like seafood considering that's your industry yeah i mean i know more about fish now than i ever thought i would <laughs> probably more than you care to know <laughs> we definitely do and so do our families and friends and uh, uh our team so we're, we support our customers in that way, too, as, as consumers, conscientious consumers. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, likewise. Awesome. Thanks for the question, Garrett. Hi, my name is Joseph Cox. I'm CEO and founder of Stella Plants. And my question is, you're in a very specific field, but you have some pretty impressive designs and technology behind your systems. Is it possible for you to adapt that to other areas that require sustainable technology in the future? such as ag tech, such as the meat industry, um, and or even manufacturing? Uh, yeah, the short answer is uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of the same principle, same concept, supply. And, you know, we really think, just clicking on the, the two things you mentioned specifically, so the manufacturing side, so part of how seafood works is when you go to the grocery store, you're not buying a whole fish, right? So there's obviously some processing that goes on. That's very similar to any other type of manufacturing process. So because a lot of our target customers are vertically integrated, they manage it basically from bait to plate. Uh, there's opportunities to expand a common tech platform more broadly through their uh, operation, which is kind of part of our business development strategy. And then I think uh, one of the other things we've considered is talking about ag specifically, kind of to your point, um, which is I suspect where you're going with it, but um, you know, kind of anywhere you've got the interaction between people and the food source, especially when it's something that's alive, you've got an opportunity to be able to capture more interaction about 
or more data about those interactions, what they look like, how they're characterized, to allow those businesses that manage that uh, more insights into how to ensure that's being done in accordance with their company value statement, in accordance with their own efficiency and profitability goals, and just uh, use that opportunity to let people get better at what they do.